Welcome to the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatens. Before we get to today's episode, I want to thank everyone for their feedback around episode one with Mike Garrison. Listener comments and emails express gratitude for Mike's explanation about the sport. And if you're new to adventure racing or even to the dark zone, you may want to give that one a listen. Today's episode is with Shelly McLaughlin, adventure racer, high school and college athlete, a 25-year veteran educator, spouse and mom to three kids, two cats, and a poorly behaved dog. Shelly joins us just after competing in Expedition Oregon. A five-day race, Oregon was her longest to date. An athlete her entire life, Shelly began adventure racing in 2016 in and around Virginia and has stood on the podium for her fair share of events. When it came to COVID-19, Shelly used that time to build her skill set, take part in virtual events, became involved in the setting up and clearing of courses, and focused on her adventure racing skills. Like many adventure racers, Shelly's enthusiastic, is a storytelling machine, and her love for the sport just pours out of her. Sit back and enjoy episode two of The Dark Zone. An adventure racing podcast. And how did you begin adventure racing? What's some of your history? Uh, let's see. I, I guess most important to, to state up front is um, I'm 48. I'm a mother of three. Um, I have a career behind me in education and I've moved around the country for my husband's job. He works in college athletics. So in every city I've lived in, I've trail run and I've hiked. So <laughs> about five, six years ago, I'm running in Richmond. And this guy comes up to me and he says, do you mountain bike? And I said, no. <laughs> he said, fine, we'll teach you. We'd like you to join our team. And that was the Richmond Raging Burritos um, here. And Phil Dawson is was my teammate. Uh, I remember taking some printed PDFs out of maps and we're on this course and he's navigating like it's no tomorrow. And I have no idea what he's doing. So my introduction to what adventure racing was, was I knew I could keep up on my feet. I knew I could paddle and love the water. And I certainly love the rain because I grew up in Oregon. Um, but uh, mountain biking was not, it was very new to me. Uh, I definitely closed my eyes a ton at the beginning. Um, but as a newcomer, I, I'd have to say the most critical thing was the team. So on that team, it was a group of men and everybody rotated. Um, but I quickly <clears throat> realized it was, uh, we were a strong master's team, great communication. We shared navigation. Um, finally learned that my compass was upside down, um, <laughs> learned how to eat differently and eat on the move. Um, so kind of, you had shared, you had done a 30 hour race as your first race. Um, one of my first races was a 72 hour, uh, Toby. That's both feet right into the deep end of the pool. Yeah. And I loved it. I, I mean, I, I felt like, um, it connected everything. I'd always wanted from being outside. And when we think about what adventure racing demands of all of us as individuals, um, humility um, kind of came naturally uh, in my career too. I was always a vice principal or I was the behind the scenes person. Um, I love supporting teams. Um, and then also just this, um, I wouldn't say that I'm too averse to risk. Um, I like being out um, and pretty lost. So that first race, I mean, we were um, along. What was, the the, what was the name of that race? It was a uh, Toby mutant. It was a, it was a, I can't think of the, the name of it. Uh, it, was, it started at lazy day winery in, um, in Virginia. And the other team was MRC and it was Shane Hageman and Rachel. Mm -hmm. And all I knew is they had, fancy outfits that matched each other and they had really nice bikes <laughs> and they said they were training for worlds. I had no idea what that was. Um, and there were about three other teams. So it was not a, a huge race. Um, I do remember that we finished the course though. And as we were coming in, Phil looks at me and he's like, this isn't like trail running. No one's going to be there. And I'm like, I had a great time, you know, and it was, it was dark and you come home and I processed it. And then I think the next race we did was nationals. Um, and at that time, Richard Rady, Raging Burritos, uh, Jesse Spangler was on our team, mm -hmm. um, Phil Dawson, Eric Cohn, Daniel Rodriguez. And it was, it was great. Um, uh, I think just kind of fast forward though, what really, and where people are at now, when the pandemic hit, I was an education researcher. I was in classrooms. So my job was basically over and I'm sitting in front of two computer, computer screens doing numbers or something, um, you know, for some research project and realizing that wasn't, I, I wasn't happy. Um, so about a year and a half ago, it really came to a decision of like, 
this isn't where I want to put my time. I didn't, I hadn't ever stayed home with my children and here my kids were home. Um, so I transitioned and what I did as an adventure racer who had done about three races a year, always with Richmond Rage and Burritos, I started doing virtual events. I started, um, volunteering to set up courses and clear courses. And I just made it, I would say two to three weekends out of every month I was out there. Um, and so in the last year and a half, um, I've done quite a few races. I've been a lead nav. I've been lost by myself. I've, been, I've seen rattlesnakes. I've seen bears. Um, and so I think a lot of my growth happened by most importantly, a, a decision like now or never. Right. You just, you just said that you, you looked at the landscape, right? Not unlike what we do with in a race, you looked at yeah. the, at the landscape, you had a map in front of you and you said, yeah these are my options and I want to go in this direction. And you, yeah. and you elected to throw yourself deeper into the world of adventure racing. Yeah. And now, yeah. Now, and also too, you get the maps for virtual events, you get the maps via email. And so someone like me who would always defer, you know, we have that hour before the race and everyone's scattering and I would never take the map and say, we need to go this way. <laughs> but with the pandemic, given the maps ahead of time, I really had time to nerd out. And so if a course had, 35 points. And I knew I only had two hours on the weekend um, because of the kids schedules or whatnot. I went out there for those two hours and I said, I'm going to get these 10 points and I'd get them. And, you know, so slowly, and I don't, I'm not uh, a solo racer material. I never need to be a lead navigator, but it's nice to, as a supportive team member to know how to read a map, how to know how to backtrack, how to um, consider, are we lost and where do we need to go and where's the fence and how can we figure out where we are. So, yeah. And it's interesting too, because a large part of our listenership are people who are new to the sport, mm-hmm. um, you know, events such as the eco challenge, you know, with Amazon being so big with it to being during yeah. the lockdown, we're finding more and more people are coming into um, the sport, having watched things like that. And so there's a, there's a certain ramp up for a yeah. lot of them that they know nothing of. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. so we have to be thoughtful when we talk out loud about the idea that we mentioned all these things like clearing the course, setting the course, the fence, the people yeah. at home are kind of like, well, what are we talking about? Exactly. Roll back a bit more and yeah. your, your, your origin story, which, you know, is yeah. the theme of the first season mm-hmm. is not uncommon in relation to a lot of other people where you, you clearly had a bit of a, 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 a an adventure background, more in, in formal racing. And then, yeah. then you kind of dipped into adventure racing and you clearly have taken a lot of enjoyment out of it. Yeah. Based on that, what did you find was in the beginning, what was the thing that, that, that caused you the most consternation? Where did you struggle the most with what part? Let's see. Uh, I mean, I think there were there are three things, but I can touch on one. Um, when my uh, the first is how to remain connected when you're not feeling like you're contributing. If that makes sense. Sure, uh, we'll say one. more about that. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, so I think team sports. I've always, if if I played softball, basketball, track, soccer, played in college, like I. I think my role on a team, even if I'm not on the field or I'm on the bench or whatever my role is, I think a, an origin story was, are you connected? You know, if you're not playing, are you remaining connected? And that was a huge thing. Um, even me as a mother of kids, one who plays college sports, um, I never would be that mom on the soccer field sideline saying, oh, you played a great game. I'm like, I noticed that you were connected. <laughs> it matters a lot. Um, we can see it in people's body languages and eye contact. Um and so I think the way I would look at my intro into adventure racing was, and what I worried about was, could I remain connected if it wasn't my strength? So mountain biking was really tough. The first mountain bike I went on ride with the team, it was like, uh, they said, don't look at the trees, you'll hit the trees if you do. <laughs> so I had that down. And long story short, we finished the bike ride and I needed a beer. And, and here I had never been that type of, I never understood what it meant to be that focused. Uh, women, not, not just women, but uh, multitasking. Ooh, I'm always thinking of 500 different things as a mother of three kids and I had a job and whatnot. I would say mountain biking really taught me that if you think of anything else, you're going right. to get hurt. Yeah. So, so I would say that would probably be the, the thing that was most important to me or something that I kind of worried about. And, and so that's the, I remember one of my, one of my worst mountain bike crashes ever was during a 24 hour event where I mm-hmm. was distracted thinking about a work situation. Mm-hmm. And I remember it clearly. And it was two o'clock in the morning and I it had gotten in my head. Next thing you know, I'm laying on the ground. Yes. So, you're, you're, so you're spot on yeah. the idea that it requires you to do that. And then another, 
part you mentioned with adventure racing is that it, it requires us to push into things we're not comfortable with, right? And yeah. as, a, as a team athlete and as a, as a longtime participant in team sports, when you're new to adventure racing, and this is good for our listeners who are on the new side, yeah, there's definitely a component of the sport where you're going to feel as if you're not really giving a whole lot to the team at that moment. Yes. Right. You you feel like you're doing more of the following than anything else. Dragged, and that's hard for a lot of dragged. people. <laughs> right. You're being dragged. And sometimes literally, like if they put you on tow. Yeah. Right, and we will, and, we'll talk about that later. Yes. Right. And <laughs> and and towing, as we know, is that in, in adventure racing, it's not uncommon for a teammate having a tough time to keep up. And this blows newcomers mind. We actually attach a rope to that person and we help to pull them along. Yes. Um, the first time I saw a tow in use in a race, I was like, what is this thing that's going on? Right. Yes. And so clearly you, you touch upon a huge component of becoming an adventure racer is that nobody stumbles into this without some sort of athletic background, as small as it may be. And it requires a brand new understanding of that. And so that was an early learning for you was mm-hmm. your role on the team and wrapping your head around that role. Yeah. What, what yeah. else did you learn in the beginning? Um, well, and, I'll, and and you ended with a role. I mean, that is a role, you you know. So it, what I learned in adventure racing is everyone has a job. And if you don't have a job, figure out what you can do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ask. Um, and I think that uh, adventure racing really, I think that's why I still do it. I, I, I'll be 50 in a year and a half and I can't wait. 50 to 60 is my golden years. Like I, I can't wait to get better and stronger um, because I think all of those roles um, are something I'd like to do, um, you know, have, have different races that I'm pushed in different ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I just see a lot of opportunity for growth and networking, which I've always loved. Um, but I think when we look at our careers and our backgrounds and I mean, society never war- rewarded me as a female for having feelings or emotions. Um, and I think adventure racing pushes you to be in touch and remain connected, not only to your team, but to yourself. And I can't tell you how often in the race I just finished, which was Expedition Oregon, um, Mark Latanzi would turn around. He's like, are you feeling, you know, what are you feeling? They, they wanted to help. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So, so let's do this. So, so for the sake <laughs> of the listener, tell yeah. us about Expedition Oregon. Tell us about that race and what was your experience like there? Okay. Expedition Oregon, um, for someone like me who'd been in adventure racing for about four or five years, um, I'd never done an expedition length race. I'd done three days. Um, but the way I saw it provided that I'm from Oregon as well was it was kind of my Olympics Mm -hmm. and it happened during this pandemic year where I was finally in shape. I I mean, my goal for the pandemic was if anybody called and said, Hey, we're going to go run the Grand Canyon. You want to come? I'd be like, I'm in. And actually I did run the Grand Canyon, Um, but every month I had uh, built on races and long story short, a team that was based here in Virginia uh, needed a racer and word got out and there I was. And it was um, something that uh, because of the experience of the two members on the team um, that were local, we did training for. So I would meet them and we would do a ton of, uh, and when I say training, I'm talking like two to three days of training. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it would usually be after a race that I'd done. So I did a 15 hour race and then I'd enter the training with Mark and Andy tired mm-hmm. for the purpose of making sure that, you know, I still felt I was trying out, even though they asked me and I knew I was on the team and I paid the money. Like I still thought that maybe I wasn't good enough. Well, you, you still um, had to build that team bond. Right. Yeah. And and, and one thing we learned adventure racing is one thing that binds adventure racers together is the idea of shared suffering. Right. So so you needed to go into the woods with Mark and with Andy and you needed to you needed to prove it. Prove is a strong word to use. You wanted to display for them the fact that you had the capacity to do it. Yeah. And it was good for them to bond with you over it because we all realize is that when you get into the race setting an expedition Oregon was how many days long were you out there? Five. <laughs> and so over the course of five days, you're going to run through the entire gamut of emotions. And so yeah. you realize that you had to prepare for that yeah. in order to, to be effective on the course. So there's, yeah. and so one thing about adventure racing is that there's all these dynamics that play a role, which, which I find fascinating about it. Cause you're mentioning your physical capacity. Yeah. You sign on for this team, which is where you're from, but you really don't know the guys super well. You had this really hard training, like, yeah. You clearly had to check off a lot of internal boxes to feel comfortable with the experience. I think I had to let go of an expectation that my strengths would apply. 
So my strengths were moving on my feet. I always bring extra food. Like my nickname is snacks. <laughs> um, I love the water. Um, and what I noticed though, that expedition Oregon required, um, moving on your feet while eating mm -hmm. something I was not familiar with, um, and biking at a, above my pay, pay grade. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I, and I, I sensed that from the training and although I felt good on the training, um, I realized that I had to trust them and I did. And, and, and it was, I would say we, as a team, we did very well in Oregon and, it, and I would go back to why we did well was because we were prepared as a team, like we bonded as a team. And so for new folks, especially, you know, when you're a singleton, like Andy and Mark had already raced together. Um, so I was that new person, you know, you really have to commit to saying, Hey, let's, you want me to join you on this race? Can we meet up beforehand? Can we, can we go on a run? Can we go on a bike ride? Um, I learned so much from those, those trainings, especially too, on an expedition race, you were transitioning your bike in and out of a box. And yeah. yeah and, like and, and that's another thing too, like the <laughs> fact that you have to break your bike, you ride your bicycle. Yes. You have to, then you have to, uh, you have to disassemble your bicycle. You have to put it into a box and then it gets brought somewhere and you and you reassemble it there and mm -hmm. it's like on three hours sleep over three days yeah. to, to, to people who don't know the sport or like what are you talking about like what yeah. kind of crazy sport is yes. this yes um, yes I, I read a quote today about expedition oregon and i'm gonna i'll paraphrase it the the bicycle riding at expedition oregon had everything about bicycle riding except actually riding the bicycle <laughs> you pushed it you carried it you towed yes. it was that true? Did you find that was it was the cycling that hard there? I thought the cycling was was hard. I think I um, I also too I with the way I look back at the races, I think of it as stages. And so I know that the first two or three stages, the first stage was the pack raft. I felt awesome. I love it. And that was a hundred. Was that a hundred kilometers? Uh huh. So yeah. that's, so 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 the first <laughs> the first stage of this race yeah. is a sixty six mile pack raft. Loved it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and. Yeah. So everybody now, Andy, one of my teammates, though, he's like at 10 p.m. I'm not I'm not paddling anymore. And I look back and I'm going, <laughs> you know, so you start the race in the daylight and then you end at night. But um, or it was dark by the time we got to the transition. Um, so, uh, yeah. And then the the first major bike ride, the toughest one was, right. I believe, 80 miles and it was maybe 16000 feet elevation. Right. There was a lot of. There was biking, actually, um, especially some teams may not have biked. But when you when you race with Mark Latanzi, you move. You're moving. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, Mark so, has that. Mark has that that cross yes. bike hybrid crazy thing he rides. It's like an amazing bicycle and it works. Oh, for yeah. him. They both have internal hubs and I'm sitting there um, and uh, we we did bike and it was uh, a lot. Now, when there was snow, by the time we did get to snow, it was sunny and warm. And all I wanted to do was throw my body and my bike into the snow and lie down. <laughs> right. That's what do. Make it stop. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the biking and then the, the next time we biked, that would probably be like, like the highlight of my race. So there was biking, but I think for most people, the inclines were um, special. They would make Strava segment chasers like so excited because it was like, oh, 40% incline, you know, <laughs> a quarter mile up a hill to get to a rappel on day five. So the biking was, um, you know, and I think if once again, someone in my shoes, not having done an expedition race, I had to really look at each stage as a mini race. And right. that was, that was the way, that's the way I run ultra marathons as well. Like I, you know, take what you have from your previous, your origins, right? My origins as the long distance runner know is like run the mile you're in, and don't think about anything else. And, that, so, and, that, and that's a lesson for the folks at home, right? If people yeah. are, are considering adventure racing, regardless of the distance, right? The yes. yeah. adventure racing is really a series of, uh, of somewhat complicated athletic events that are broken up by transitions. So, <laughs> sure. so, so you didn't need to cover, you didn't need to think about five days worth of racing. You no, had to think not. about a hundred kilometer pack raft yes. then in, in an 80 mile cycle. And yes. to, to take it all at once, to, to, to eat the whole elephant would be impossible. So you had to break it up into smaller chunks. It would. Yeah. Which brings us to nausea, which I had. <laughs> right. well, that's, well, 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 let's talk a bit about nutrition because snacks, um, snacks is your nickname. as you, as you yeah. sure Well, when you're, uh, you know, on the rate on the team that I have always raced with the guys, mm -hmm. like, I think that 
I know them well enough that I bring extra food. Well, the, the pace of racing with Mark and Andy was faster and they ate while moving. So that means they access their food while moving, which means it's in a good spot. And I didn't necessarily have the setup for that, but I tried. Um, but what I found is I wasn't digesting my food. Um, and so it was a pretty rough start. Um, I think I finally had uh, a, a touching moment with the side of a mountain where I dry heaved <laughs> Mark Latanzi came, put his hand on my back and we sat down on the side of the mountain for a little bit. And they're like, you're an adventure racer now. (laughs) You do, right? Yeah, they were were very proud. And so I had what they celebrated as a rebound, um, which is I did feel better. um, But I had to quickly say not only were the snacks I brought not working, but they didn't need snacks. They've raced long enough and often enough that they brought food they liked. Right. Um, and, and not that they wouldn't share it. They would. It, it was just I found myself um, kind of going back to um, the challenges of racing. You know, I couldn't remain connected because I, I was nauseous, um, which I've, I'm familiar with from from running. I would just say it's a little different when you're uh, navigating at night um, in really um having been a person that always felt strong on my feet, I didn't feel strong on my feet. So it was hard. There was a little bit of pity party going on. Um, right. And then I would say once we got back on the bike for this, that second, I think it was the fourth stage of the race. It was a, a heavy bike. I, I rallied. Right. And our mutual friend, Abby Perkis one time yeah. said to me during a race, I tore in a transition era and I've had, I've, I had, I too have had the in-race therapy sessions. Like, yes, you know, it, was, you know, like it was a nice therapy session. We're going to work this out now. We have a thing going on here and we're going to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I remember being told one time during a race that no matter how you feel, it's going to pass. Yes. So if you feel like a million bucks and I'm the king of the world, well, give time, time, yeah. you're going to, you're going to bottom out. And when you bottom out, same thing. And I, I've also learned that the, that, um, a well-timed, you know, sugar and caffeine are magical, right? Yes. That when, when taken at the proper time, you kind of rebound. But to your point, <laughs> when you went through that rough go of it at that one section, you had enough, you had enough experience and capacity in yourself to realize that you just had to make it through that section. And then a rebound was on the way. And you had to learn that over the course of racing. I did, but I would say that it was, the, it was a new low. Um, and I think, uh, as I said, we had that therapy session on the side of the mountain and it really helped, but, um, it was, um, it was a battle I hadn't fought to that depth, I guess. I I don't know. I don't mean to be dramatic. It was just, I think I even said to Mark, I said, Mark, I think I'm done. (laughs) And and I, I don't think I've, I, I, what day was was this? What day was it? (laughs) Day two. two. Well, this was, I think it was maybe 40 hours into the race, but still it was, um, because what it is, is also too, just, I know nutrition wise that, um, uh, I have celiac disease. I can't eat wheat. There's, there's things I can't eat. And then I overheat and there's all these factors that were going into place, but I felt dizzy. I felt an unusual, and I would say maybe seven hours of nausea. So you, and, so, you so you were, so even for you with your ultra running background <laughs> and the, and the, and the suffering that you experience with your other sports, yeah. This was a brand new level of, oh my God. It wasn't. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, oh my God, I'm a liability. I'm slowing them down. We hadn't used a toe at that point. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, and we also, they agreed that Andy would navigate one day, Mark would navigate the other. They invited me to, and I appreciate that so much, but I, I did not have the bandwidth. To so do that's interesting. So, so you had now the, the navigation decision to share navigation, was mm-hmm. that, was that discussed before the race? Yes. Okay. So, and so it's worth pointing out that that's a relatively unique situation for the most teams. Most teams would usually have a lead navigator. Yes. That lead navigator is supported usually by a secondary person who has a set of maps. Mm -hmm. And then there, and then there's the me of the team, which is the mule. My job is to carry heavy stuff and stay positive. Like that's my whole job. You know, know, (laughs) carry all this, Brian, don't say a word. Let's go. Um, Yeah. And so that's interesting that you had decided to sort of share the navigational responsibilities. What was the motivation for that? Just to keep everybody engaged in the race? I think it's a really highly efficient 
a strong team leader. Like I think, I think a lot of it goes to Mark. And, and as I said, Mark and Andy had raced together. Um, but when we think about, and, and not only race together, but a lot of expedition races. Um, now I am familiar with sharing the maps. Um, so raging burritos, that was nothing new. Like, uh, Eric Cohn, if he's listening, like you, you can never let Eric Cohn hold a map after 3am. Nope. Got it. You take it away from him. <laughs> Um, so, uh, no, it was, it was, uh, discussed ahead of time and I was familiar from training, um, supporting Andy while he navigated and then supporting Mark and Mark too, I guess what I've learned is there's some navigators, um, the, the team that won the race, I talked to Mary and, and she was saying that their lead navigator, no one talked to, like he, he didn't, he didn't need help. They right. had music, yeah, they had music playing, and he just we go, he's like we go here, <laughs> we yeah. go there. And, and I've um, seen too. I've seen the lead navigator. If it's a three or four person team, yeah. they yeah. sit towards the back, like yeah. they're not in the front. Like there's other people, and the lead and the navigator is kind of calling out what direction to go. Um, but yeah. once again, yeah. adventure racing, a million permutations, a million different yeah. moments, and yeah. clearly they have a very clearly established team dynamic that you know so and so has the map, and so be it. Yeah. Um, I've, I've never been, my, my teammate, Jim is an excellent navigator. Okay. And so I've never had the chance to have to actually put my hands on the map, but I, I have seen, and I've been witness to in racing of there's clearly some navigators that when their exhaustion goes up, yes. their capacity to navigate goes down, but their confidence gets even higher. Oh, it's dangerous. So it's dangerous. <laughs> then all of a sudden you're walking in a completely different direction and you're like, wait a minute, where do we go? Um, yeah. So, so you if, if listeners don't know too. Mark Latanzi wrote a book about navigation and right. orientation. So, you know, it was nice to see when it was Andy's uh, turn, and that was when my nausea was going full swing. But you know, he's like, no, no, Mark, we need to focus. You know, so here, um, it was nice to see them be very equal navigators, in my opinion, very supportive. And Mark, uh, I think Andy was frustrated that he was a little off when he first started. And Mark said, you know, you just need to give yourself time to get your head in the map. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Also, too, as a newcomer-ish to these type of races, that's my mental model for what it should look like. I thought it was really um, team-oriented, um, safe per se. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody was short with anyone. It was Good. it was great. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's funny the idea of getting your head in the maps. I found from a navigation perspective that when I have when I've raced solo or I've had maps in my hands, and Andy went through this, it takes a while for you to wrap your head around the perspective of the map. Like yeah. without fail. I've never seen the data, but I would bet that the most challenges in adventure race is getting to checkpoint number one, that mm-hmm. people are just trying to figure out where they're going. And then after, once they get into the flow of, of, of the map usage and they know which way the map goes and they have their head in the game, they yeah. begin to knock off checkpoints. I've seen that time and time again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you so, talk about the first point though, really quick, my role on most of the teams is I'm the rabbit or the bunny or whatever you want to call yeah. I punch things. Um, and I quickly understood my, like it was a, a moment where I'm like, oh, this is going to be one of those races where Andy was the bunny, Mark had the maps, and my job was just to stay up with them, and I barely could. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, so that's how the prologue started. So it was it was a race that caught my attention quickly, and I had to adjust. And it, it sounds like the 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 growth point for you, because um, adventure racing and anything is is it's a growth machine, right? You learn more yeah. about yourself at every single race. I found that about every race I've done. I've always taken something about my personality and myself out of it. That was important to know. And it was clear from the very beginning that you kind of took a, you know, like a shot to the head, like, Oh my goodness, this is a five day. <laughs> right. Am I right about that? You're yeah, yeah, nodding yeah. your head across zoom. Oh yeah. No, I mean, all my strengths were relevant for this race. Like, I mean, you know, my strengths and my experience and I had to really just not take a back seat. I had to figure out a way to remain connected while not doing the things that I usually do. Um, and at the same time, I mean, I was, they were fast. So it was very new and, and, and super important for new racers to branch out and, and race with different teams. Cause these are the things you learn and find, right. you know, I've actually raced with um, uh, a few different people this year and, and it's, it's super helpful. Um, it makes you a better racer to see how people navigate. Do they want you behind? Do they want you in front? Do they want to share? Um what do they do when they get hungry? What do they look like when they're sick? All mm-hmm. these things. Yeah. Yeah. And also the other part of it too. And, and I, I spoke to an earlier podcast, I spoke to Brian Rice and Brian races for Rootstock Racing. Mm-hmm. And we had a really interesting conversation around the, the level of, of um, you have to be somewhat humble that when you're in a race and you're hurting, yeah. 
you have to be okay giving your gear to somebody else to hold to carry this and and that's something that a lot of people struggle with that like like, yes. like i i will i will walk myself into the ground before i give you 10 pounds of my gear correct and and that's a really and what i found in the really high level adventure racers the really really fit strong fast people if someone will take some of their gear they'll happily give it up and they'll happily take somebody else's gear when the time comes like the amount of of weight that is distributed among a team really blew my mind. Yeah. Uh, the, I, the number one thing that Andy, that Andy Bacon, when the race ended, he's like, listen, this is my one. It was awesome to race with you, but this is my one piece of advice. When someone says, can give me your bag, you say, thank you. How can I help? Gotcha. Yeah. And the, the, you know, just thank you. How can I help? Rather than here you go. Oh God, I'm, I suck. I'm weighing down this team. You know, in other words, I think they could sense that every time they did offer to help, I was like, uh, because, and that's, and that's the, 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 the mismatched understanding in their world. Yeah. It in, gets in, us in, there faster. <laughs> right. Right. And they were saying, let us help you. Yes. And and your perception was I'm admitting weakness. Yes. Right? And so when yes. those two things cross, it gets really hard. Right. And, and that's, yeah. okay. it takes away positive energy. I mean, I see it so much differently now. Um, and now I, cause I was towed for the first time on foot this race. That was hard. That was, that was humbling. Yeah. So, you know, but now I, I, I look back and it, I haven't talked about the race with anyone until now. Like I haven't even posted pictures on Facebook. It's been hard to process, but, um, I think I'm, I, I know for sure I'm a different racer hundred percent. And if, so, so, so clearly, like I said before, adventure racing is, is it's a growth machine. Right. Yeah. You just learned so much about yourself during yeah. it. And as you're as you're talking about it out loud for the first time, you really I could see you processing yourself now as you talk about it. <laughs> this is my so so in, in a desire, yeah. let it out. It's yeah. all your safe shot. Yeah. Out. Um, in a desire to, to 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 look at it from both ends. Like, so what were you really good at during the race? When you look back and you say to yourself, I really brought this to the team. And the answer can't be nothing. Right. You have to have brought something, even good snacks. You know, um, there are a few relative highs in the race. And I think Mark and Andy would just say, yeah, when you get that girl in the boat, man, she's happy. Um, so um, although the boating section was portaging for the second stage of boating, <laughs> um, but I even jo- enjoyed that. Um, I, I think I provided, I think they knew I was showing up every minute I could. Um, I think that and also, too, I had never um, gone as many days without sleep like that. So, um, <laughs> I, you know, it's hard. I, I, I'm still and I think this is maybe an adventure race personality. You still knock yourself. You're like, God, couldn't I have done a little more? Like I had delirium. I was hearing voices basically the last night. Um, and so I'm on a toe and it comes out of my teammate's backpack and it's around my waist. And so I'm very close to him. Um, and not navigating and I just need to lie down. But I know from throughout the previous few days in the race that we don't necessarily stop. We'll we'll slow down, but we need to keep moving. And that means on bike or on boat or foot. Um, And it got to the point where every time Andy stopped, I would be in like a fetal position on the ground (laughs) behind his feet. I mean, I look back at those things and it's hard to say, well, what did I bring to the team? But I think I think within all those moments, if I as a racer and, and racers that are listening and want to be better, if you can sit back and take yourself out of the equation and look at all the other times your teammates struggled, I think we all kind of look at ourselves that way. Um, I know there was one point where Mark was, <laughs> I think all the baby mosquitoes in the world were born at the exact time we exited the water. And so we had mosquitoes for four hours and we were climbing with 50 pound packs. Um, and I could tell it really bothered my, Mac, Mark Latanzi um, and Andy who didn't have trekking pants on, but I started to feel better at that point. And uh, Andy was navigating and he needed to know something about, you know, that road up there. And I see Mark take off his backpack and I was like, sit down. I went and did it, you know, so, so I guess I would say those are the things I provided. I provided little pockets of, of, of space and comfort. I think for the most part, I was as good natured as I could be. Um, but, but that's the gift of racing. I mean, you, as you said, you, it breaks us down to then not build ourselves back up, but rely on the group we're with to 
somehow narrate an experience or navigate this, not just on the maps, but, you know, and, and I'm, I don't want to say it's a spiritual thing, but it definitely is. I mean, it's, they're your family. They're, they keep you safe. Um, so that night I had delirium, the, you know, Mark and Andy, we all struggled. We got in a boffy, which is this crazy, like, yeah, I was in I, I was in Scotland. I had a panic attack. Yeah, in one. yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah I chose to, when we yeah. were in Scotland on day four, yeah. day five. Yeah. Rather than get into a bathy, I elected to lay in the mud and think to myself, if this doesn't work out and this is where I expire, well, yeah. so be it. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and that's one of those things like, no, you get in the bathy because you're going to maintain enough body heat to. Right participate in the team. Yes. You know, um, that like they were religious about sunscreen. Sunscreen just throws me off. I'm 48. I just sweat and it just hot and I didn't want to do it. And it's like, <laughs> but, but they, brought, I'm, like, I'm like, do I have to talk to you guys about menopause? What's going on? But you know, um, I'm warm enough. Got, I'm warm enough as it is. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> um, but you know, in the reality though, from their experiences, sunburns can break a team. You know, if yeah. someone has a sunburn infection, yeah. So you have to, you know, you have to say what you need and need what you say. You know, I think that's the thing that I didn't really need rest. So by day four, I realized I didn't need to stop. I just needed to, once again, kind of remain connected, but maybe, you know, Andy would ask me about my kids or maybe Mark would tell a funny story or he sings Taylor Swift songs, which is pretty funny. Um, and so you have, to, I, yeah, I know. I think that uh, you or my own experience is that I've become a little bit better about what I need. Sure. And there's, and there's, and there's a lot there, right? And let's come back to the Bathy for a second. So a Bathy bag, for those of you at home, is this, um, this fake, usually red, almost thick parachute item that you basically the three or four members of the team, you put it up in the air and then you jump underneath it and you sit inside this tomb uh, my word, no one else's word. This and you're 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 crushing there together, and your body heat keeps you all warm. That that's the theory behind it. Where it breaks down, Shelly, it breaks down when when one teammate who is is, is you know is six one and one hundred and ninety pounds, yeah. and the other three teammates are not, and 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 I was and I am one and a half times bigger than all three of my teammates, yeah. and I can't fit inside the bathy bag. Yeah, and I'm getting crushed. And so I'm glad it worked out well for you. I'll take my chances with the wolves and hyperthermia. Yeah, That's so you, you stayed in the mud. Whereas I stayed I in the mud. Threw- I threw myself down on the ground and started snoring within seconds. Yeah, that's, we're going to have to, we've actually discussed Scotland this year. We have to have a different both you bag strategy. That's actually been major Excellent. team discussions. Excellent. Um, and you, you bring an important point up earlier when it comes to when you were in the race, right? And yeah. this is, and, and you use the word spiritual. And I think that word is completely appropriate yeah. because there is this, there's this thing that happens during a race. Yeah. It's you, it's your teammates. Your, your world becomes the circle of your team. Yes. That's your whole world. Nothing else matters. You know, we, we, our phones get locked away in a bag Mm -hmm. and we, and we, we step out of our normal world into a five day simulated world. And Grant Killian, who's a race director up here, Mm -hmm. does, um, he did um, Untamed New England. He talks a lot about how these are contrived inconveniences that we make the, we we put ourselves into these situations. Mm -hmm. And in there, we kind of learn something and you, you, earlier when you were discussing your, your self-talk, it reminded me of an expression I heard once. I would never allow you to talk to me the way I talk to myself. Yeah. Yeah. And so what you're thinking about yourself and, and to everybody out there, I guarantee you that if I got Andy and Mark on this, on this, <laughs> this podcast, they'd be like, she was great. She kept yeah. up. She was fine. Yeah. But we never see that about ourselves. Yeah. We never do that. And adventure racing um, uh, applies that in a very large way that we're, we, yeah. we kind of learn that about ourselves, And also we think we're, we think everyone's paying attention to us. They're really kind of yeah. not, they're, they're focusing on surviving themselves. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 No, I was just going to say, I mean, they, they're a new, a newbie mistake is like, we are on that last track. I know we're not sleeping anymore in the race and, you know, Andy's uh, navigating that section. I remember, and he stops us all, and he's like, "Everyone's got their lights. Yes, everyone's got food. Yes, we got this, this. It's going to be hard." We get out there no more than a mile, and I realize I don't have what I thought I had. <laughs> yeah, you just don't have it. Yeah. Yeah. So when you when you say 
you know, yeah. So I just went inside and just said, how I'm just banging my head, just going like, how could you have done this? Like, you know, it's a, it's an easy mistake to make on day four of a race, but within that moment, I, I had a hard time. I was wasting energy being hard on myself. Yeah. And I tell you, you funny you bring that up, right? Because there's something about our sport. Mm-hmm. I was reading something this morning on, on, on Facebook, uh, a, a fellow racer, strong racer, him and his wife were racing. They, they literally left a whole set of maps behind. Yeah. Like, and these, these are, these are, there are very few pro racers out there, but they're very, they're yeah. very pro. They're very strong. They had to trek the hour back to get their maps to trek back out for the hour. Yeah. It amazes me that there's something about the human dynamic inside a race, gear, yeah. food, exhaustion. Like you walk out without your light, you leave something behind. Like just mm-hmm. there's the, the there's that dynamic, which is a, it's a whole other discipline in adventure racing is having systems yeah. in place. Yes. Like, like I thought it was really weird. Like when racers would they would tape inside their transition uh their bins yeah they would tape the stages inside the transition bin Mm -hmm. and i thought why would you do that because they would get so tired that they would have to read it yeah and and that's a tool to help them prevent them from making a mistake from making an error right and so once again a big part of it is is strategies that we have to use to succeed in races right but sometimes we just mess it up you know i (laughs) you know you just blow it sometimes yeah. And it's your team. So if one person brings the wrong light, then the person, yeah, it, it, it was definitely, it, it, it's a cascade effect. Right. And so you have to figure out, okay, well, I forgot my light and I'm walking really slow, but I have to, I have to stop this thinking because I, I, you can't remain connected. Um, so I was, I would say this past, this race in Oregon, I was farther behind my team than I've ever been. And it may have been 50 meters, but it felt like a mile. Right. Um, and I wasn't sulking. I, I had no emotion at that point. I was just going. But um, and then there, there were times I wasn't. I was doing OK. So, you know, now I think my advice or in hearing myself talk, I, I would just say, you know, give every race some time. You know, you finish it and you come home and both Andy and I were commenting. We both have kids and you're commenting. You know, I came home and it's like, OK, middle school, high school. You know, I just jumped back into life. Um and although I do give my family some prompts to ask me um, based on their personalities, you know, what made you laugh? What was your favorite sunrise? Mm-hmm. My youngest son wants to know about poop, animal poop. <laughs> you know, Who doesn't? Whatever, whatever helps my family reconnect with me. That was actually my next question, but never mind. We'll, we'll let that yeah. one go. So, uh, but anyways, I just, I, I don't even know where I'm going with that, but you know, no, I but, think. But you, but you make a valid point though, that the, what you're talking about there is that the, you know, we, we throw ourselves into these incredible events where yeah. we, we see amazing sights and vistas and we experience so much. Yeah. It's too much for us to absorb at any one time. It has to sit. It has to process over time. Right. And, right. It, and it comes out. I, um, we, we, I came back last week from the 36 hour race to river yeah. adventures by rootstock and fantastic race, cold, wet, and rainy the whole time. Yeah. And I was sitting on my couch the, the day I got back and I had a longer weekend and I was talking to my wife about the race and like my son, and I like started crying about a part of the race. Yeah. And, and I literally got emotional when my son was like, you all right, dad. And it was all about, we passed through this little town called, called Blossburg in, yeah. in, in North central Pennsylvania. They had their annual coal festival. Okay. And they had a parade, which we missed mind you, but they had a parade. And I, I was so struck by how much these people love their community. Mm-hmm. And I was it, like, it overwhelmed me. Like they just love what they, who they are, what they do. Yeah. And it was because of the fact that I was tired and I was emotional and I was processing out the race myself. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. But you, you made a good point there about the idea of the, of don't quit on the race. Yeah. You know, and that's important for people who are new to the sport that there are going to be moments where you're going to want to walk off the course. You know, yeah. what, is, what is my, what is my way to go home? What is my safety bearing? What direction yeah. takes me to a road, which yeah. takes me to a car, which takes me to a hotel room. Um, but you didn't do that. No, no, I didn't No, And yeah, <laughs> I mean, that would be the first time. I can't. Re- I can't see a point in my life where I've ever thought about. I just felt I. I. I you know, when I did tell Mark, I think I'm done. I. I felt like such a liability that I couldn't. Well, were you done because physically were you done, or were you done because you thought you were a liability to the team? I. I think I felt. <laughs> I thought I was going to pass out. I couldn't stop the nausea. I couldn't uh, figure out how I, yeah, it, it was a mix of things. I certainly physically was not tired. It wasn't a physical 
Gotcha. Thing. It was my stomach in my head. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So yeah, just a different kind of nausea. But once again, I would I would pinpoint it now in reflection. It was it was a hundred percent avoidable if I trained by eating while moving. Got it. And so, and now I just pack a damn sandwich. And that was a funny thing. Like the guys had sandwiches. I didn't. (laughs) That's one thing thing I've learned too, is that the, from, from a nutrition perspective, Mm -hmm. um, the, the ability to consume food wrapped in plastic for more than 24 hours is impossible. Impossible. You have, you have to, you have to eat real food. Yeah. It can't, it can't be cliff bars and goose. Your body just shuts down the entire time, you know? Um, Yeah. So, and, um, yeah. And filter and then treated water too. That would be something that, yeah. So I think that I'm glad I didn't quit. I don't think I thought I would quit. I mean, I, I, it, the words came out of my mouth though. And that was, and here, Mark, he's like, well, I don't know you well enough. Whereas, and then my heart went back to raging burritos. Like if I had said that to Phil Dawson or other people I trained with, they'd be like, Whoa, right. <laughs> they, they wouldn't have. What was, what was Mark's reaction when you said that to him? He, he said quickly, he's like, listen, I, I don't know you well enough to know what that means, but we're going to talk about it at the TA. <laughs> That's all I said. Right. Right. Yeah. And that and so was what, so hours he, away. That was so like, what he did was he just, he just bought some time. Yeah. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so, so, so when you got to the TA, what happened? Were, were you in a different space then? No, a different space. hundred mm-hmm. percent. But I mean, that TA was easy. Was it 12 hours away? <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah, it was a race away. I mean, so a lot of races that we do are 12 hours, 24 hours, you right. know, yeah, but I made it and they celebrated. It was funny. We, uh, there's always a point in an adventure race where the team talks about food and you all talk about what your spouse's cook or your partners or your roommates or whatever. And, and I would say that in, within that same stage of me throwing up on the side of the mountain and telling Mark, I was going to quit. We had that nice conversation that it's, it's like a, it's like a, a, a blankie or a wubby or something. Every race you come to the point where everyone's talking about food and their favorite food and everyone's happy. Right. And that was the only time we really got lost in the race too, which was funny. Well, that, cause you were, cause you were probably distracted that you we were, were, that, we yeah. were all distracted. And then a team that we kind of wanted to stay with, we, we heard them and we're like, Oh, we're, you know, we're like 500 meters down the road in the wrong way. So yeah. Wait, where, where things fall apart, I found repeatedly in races is when we're, when we're on a road mm-hmm. and yeah, we're on the right road, you're on a road and you're exactly. And you're, and you have your maps in your hand. And you're just having a conversation because you feel great because you get to turn off the navigation for a second. Yes. That and that's when next thing you know, mm-hmm. you have no idea where you are. Yeah. We were celebrating my rebound. We were talking about food, especially Mark's wife, right. Laura, who's an amazing cook. Yeah. So. She's the greatest. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're, you have no idea where you are, where you're you holding the maps and you're, you're start spinning in circles because you have no clue what's going on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, well, that's, that's a good, so not, not to perseverate about the, the, the I'm done moment, but I'm curious when you got to the TA, did it come up again or did the world, did the world just move on? Like, did you say to Mark, I'm good? Or did you say it then half a day later, you got to the TA and the race just Um, continued? I don't remember. I think I'm definitely the type of teammate that I will talk less and show you more with my actions. Mm-hmm. Um, so by then we had done the pack raft on the river that there was no river. Right. <laughs> I was strong and positive on that. And then we had done a trek and that was with the mosquitoes, all the baby right. mosquitoes in the world. And Mark was struggling uh, and not struggling. He was just tired. He should right. be. Um, and I told him to sit down. <laughs> so in, in Shelly's world, I, I told him I was fine. And, and that conversation would never happen again by doing those things. Um, but, and, and, and I felt good. Yeah. So, and then I had the best, so that was our second. So we had two sleeps planned. We had two, three hour segments and, um, that was our second one. And it worked like clockwork because also too, on this type of team, you've got your bike box, there's a blue tarp, you pull out the tarp in each quadrant of the tarp, you put things I need, things I don't need food for the morning and you change your clothes. And then Mark or Andy says, did you eat 2000 calories? (laughs) like it's a conversation everyone sleeps and and we also slept at tas which some teams don't do but we had a really strict um in a good way routine like it was clear what we would do and i i would say that when you look at the results of the race um the transitions were key for us and how did you do overall what what was your placing well there were we were first place losers that's what mark says (laughs) um so there is uh uh the the first through fifth place teams, they got all of the points. They cleared the course and we were the sixth place team. Gotcha. Gotcha. 
And uh, but this type of race, I would say going through the race, I had no idea where we were. I knew after day one, after that long first pack raft, that there were 39 teams or 37 and we were 29th. Yeah, I I watched from home and um, and, you know, I I refreshed repeatedly on dot on, you know, doing the dot watching. And it was very, very clear that in the beginning of the race that don't put too much. No. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I invigorated right away with it. I mean, they were just they were strong from the start. Um, But everybody else just buckle up and hold on. And there were teams that were just all over the place. And but and also, too, is when you're in the race itself, you have no clue. You don't know who missed a checkpoint, who got a checkpoint. That's what, but that's why you have to keep racing because you don't know where everybody else is. Correct. Correct. And I, I also think that life has shown me, I mean, I've been married 20 plus years. <laughs> you just, you, 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 are married in the year you're in. You, I'm, I'm definitely, and I think a, a strength for a racer is to remain present and yes. it, you can't worry about day three or four. And, and we had clear goals before the race, um, we got the maps the night before they, we knew there were two bike points that we might drop. And those were seemingly controversial, not controversial, but it's, um, like, wow, they dropped point number eight. I can't believe it. And it's like, we plan to do that before, (laughs) you know, we just knew our strengths and weaknesses. We also, Mark is a data guy. So he had a chart and we got all the information from the maps. And I think the first calculations he did, based on our training and our raft times, paddle times and our run times, why not? He's like, well, I think we're going to finish on Monday. So <laughs> we got we to figure out how we can finish on Sunday. So we had to cut some sleep and then he kept working the numbers. And then we, we knew comfortably we could do, we wanted to do all the course. And those are decisions that if you're not savvy before the race starts, right. it's not, it's not going to happen. So teams were falling apart because they were, well, that's right. And, and one thing you can't do and, and one thing you, you, your team did very, very well, which a lot of teams do well, is that you, you, had a, you, had, you had an understanding of your capacity, what you could do. Mm-hmm. Then you had the understanding of the course and you layered your capacity on top of the course and you realized the race was supposed to end on Sunday. We're going to race till Monday. We have to make adjustments. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that anybody who went into that race and just started the race, like, let's yeah. see what happens, guys. Like they just got clobbered probably. Yeah, because, I mean, there is this mentality and new racers will find this. You, you join a team, oh, it's my second or third race, and there's this whole discussion around, we want to clear the course, we want to clear the course. And I'm definitely like that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have to, and and I also, Raging Burritos, there, there's, court, there's races we've been in where we look at our strengths and we look at what the course offers, mm-hmm. and then we we come to the table, <laughs> you know? And I think, um, I think, I've been familiar with conversations like that. I think some people or some teams don't experience that, but we, this, this was an experience where we talked about what the race offered and, and we wanted to do it all. They wanted yeah. you know, the rappel was important. The pack rafting was important. We wanted to do everything and see everything. We just did that at two rivers, two rivers, um, 36 hour race. Mm-hmm. The, the, the prologue leg one was a, was a 12 mile downstream in the Creek hike where you had to stay the way, the way that the course was built was you had to stay in the Creek to get all the points. Um, you couldn't exit and come back out. And okay. we, uh, our goal was to do that. And then our goal was at the very end was to do a pack rafting section. We okay. wanted to do all of that. And we intentionally made decisions to, to take some center portions of the race out mm-hmm. to give ourselves enough time to get to the pack rafting section to do the whole thing. And it worked out fine for us. Yeah. And when all was said and done for a 36 hour race, we probably left 90 minutes on the table, two hours. Like we could have, yeah. if yeah. we had, we could have gotten a little bit longer on the bike section, a little bit longer on the trek section. And we just chose not to, mm-hmm. I guarantee you. And I've raced with the, my teammates here. We've raced together before two years ago, we would not have made that decision. Two years ago, we would have completely bollocked it. We would have made the mistake. We would never have made it at a pack raft and yeah. left. A, and we would have been rushing into the finish. So yeah. you're, you're right about that. And, and I think for, those new to the sport doing your best and on the super long races doing your best to get a full understanding of the course and making strategic decisions is the way to go the trick is you have to race to do that though like you don't know what you don't know yeah decision making decision making it's really and it's hard to do when you're hungry and tired yeah Um, and you're exhausted and you're and you you want burritos and your stomach's not working and it gets um we've been going just about an hour now and i want to be respectful of your time um so there's a there's a few 
a, f- a few questions I finish up with at the end of every podcast, right? And so we've covered some of them, but I want to revisit them for, you know, my, my OCD kicking in. Um, what is your favorite race food? And I feel bad asking you that question, by the way, because you've mentioned nausea 9,000 times in this podcast. But what's your favorite race food? Sandwiches. The sandwiches. <laughs> Have, make a sandwich. It never fails. Gotcha. Never fails. Yeah. Yeah. Which, of course, you've, you've just paraphrased the great American statesman Homer Simpson, which is which his line was sandwiches. They never judge you, which is a famous line. They don't judge you. A uh, slice of salami, cheese, and a toasted roll, so it doesn't get soggy. Yeah. Very nice. No brainer. Yep. Go ahead. Um, now for this one, you cannot answer expedition Oregon. Okay. You, you cannot a race you'd go back to in a heartbeat. Uwari, eighteen hour race. Uwari, fifteen. Yeah. Uwari well, was great. Well, in well, that's so great. By the way, you answered that instantaneously. I know, I know. Well, I think uh, I think Facebook memories came up today. Okay. <laughs> um, it's uh, and I believe that because I'm a little newer to the sport, I don't have this retrospective view of all the different things, activities that adventure race directors can design in their race. But it started with a swim. It had this crazy portage. Um, and I think one of the reasons it's memorable too is it was a Raging Burritos race. It was Jesse Spangler, Phil Dawson and I, and it had, we had Phil's mothership, which is this wooden canoe that he <laughs> built. <laughs> and so it was this three person kayak, like heavy as can be. Um, and it's also the race where I got my nickname snacks because I had like three Nesquik chocolate milks, like in my PFD bag, which you're not supposed to do, but I did. <laughs> I pulled them out and we're sitting in the middle of the water on this boat is so freaking heavy. Like, I mean, and I'm five, six and Phil's like six something and, and Jesse's pretty tall. And, you know, here I'm in the middle, like on my tippy toes trying to help, you know, it was like, guys, I've got chocolate milk. <laughs> so anyways, I can't bring the height. I can't bring, I can bring the chocolate milk. Snacks. <laughs> so, yeah, so I can't reach the, more, the canoe. Yeah. You know, I can't reach, but yeah. snacks, I'm, I'm your woman. You've come to yeah. the right person. And it was also maybe my third or fourth race. Like I, ha- I had, I, I, I don't know if I can say it. I had shit to my game at that point. Like I knew what I was good at um, and I trusted my teammates. So I, I would say that was probably my, I'd go back to it in a second. I thought the race directors did a nice creative job too. It was fun. Gotcha. Excellent. Excellent. Good answer. Good answer. Excellent. Good answer. Um, the, the number one piece of advice for a new racer. Don't give up. Don't give up. Just don't stop. Right. Yeah. There's, there's no option. The, the, yeah. And, and whether that be, I mean, a good example is uh, the pandemic hit. I'm on Facebook, but I know it's a political year and I know that's my least favorite time to be on Facebook. And I was like, I'm just going to get off. Well, I stayed on and then Mid-Atlantic Adventure Racing Page started. Mm-hmm. I raced with Dave Ashley mm-hmm. and 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 a few other guys. And, and so every month I was doing things and it was all because of the networking on, on Facebook. Yeah. So there's, there's a good, don't give up on social media. Don't give up on connecting with people. And then the training, I, I think there's something to be said, you know, when we're, I'm 48, but you know, don't give up on thinking your body can't work hard for you. So, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And I will put, a, I will put one plug in there is for as loathsome as social media is in many ways. It is. Uh, it's been a lifeline for people Good who, point. for people who take part in niche sports like us. Yes. Um, Facebook has been a complete lifeline and the greatest invention ever is the 30 day snooze button on Facebook. It like is. if somebody, if somebody's annoying me, click, I'll see you in 30 days. And that's just the way to go. And you're right. You're right. And, and, if yeah. it's, and if you get the least bit political, like I don't come to Facebook to get stressed out. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. Like they, they pay me for that when I go to work, like exactly. they're going to pay exactly. me. We're good. Yeah. Well, 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 Shelly, on behalf of all, all the listeners of, of the, of the, the dark zone podcast, I want to thank you for your time today. You are fantastic. You lived up to your billing as being a woman of energy and enthusiasm. So I thank you for being here. Be safe and all the best. Thank you. Thank you, Shelly, for joining us on The Dark Zone. What's next for Shelly, you may ask? Well, besides keeping an eye on that poorly behaved dog and eating some sandwiches, she's training for USARA National Championships to be held in Wisconsin and the Adventure Ace World Series World Championships in Galicia, Spain in the fall. 
please check out our website, www.ardarkzone.com or drop me an email at brian at darkzone.com. Remember, check your maps and check on your teammates. Thank you, Shelly, for joining us on the Dark Zone. What's next for Shelly, you may ask? Well, besides keeping an eye on that poorly behaved dog and eating some sandwiches, she's training for the USARA National Championships to be held in Wisconsin and the Adventure Race World Series World Championships in Galicia, Spain in the fall. Please check out our website, www.ardarkzone.com or drop me an email at brian at ardarkzone.com. Remember, everybody, check your maps and check on your teammates. Be safe out there.